What's up, guys? Welcome back to Tell Me About It. If you haven't been here before, hi. This show is essentially where we leave things like girl boss energy and success stories and highlight reels and really anything that paints a picture of perfection. We leave that at the door and instead reflect on, commiserate, and celebrate all of our fuck-ups, mistakes, heartbreaks, rejections, and all the obstacles that are, quite frankly, inevitable in everyone's life, no matter how perfect you think they are. Anyway, this week we have Laura Cleary on the show. She is, I mean, like, when I was reading about her, I read both of her books before this interview, and I was like, she is the perfect tell-me-about-it guest because... I mean, from addiction and sobriety to mental illness to marital struggles, and she's just, like, the most sickly honest individual, and I love her for it so much. Like, it was so refreshing interviewing her and just getting to learn from her. She's so brave and really brilliant and has done so much work. You can tell, like, so much self-reflection. So she had a lot of cool things to say and a lot of wisdom to share, and... I know you're going to love this episode. There's absolutely something in this episode for everyone. Like, you will be able to relate to some aspect of something she said. But if you don't know who Laura Cleary is, let me tell you really quickly. Laura Cleary is an influencer, a mom of two, and a New York Times bestselling author. Her first book, Idiot, came out a few years back, and she's now back with her brand new book that came out just two weeks ago called Idiots, Marriage, Motherhood, Milk, and Mistakes. I got a sneak peek, and it's honestly fucking amazing. Like, I got to read it before it came out, not to brag or anything, but it was fucking incredible. Like, it's brutally honest, as I said, and it's just a true celebration of womankind and all that we can endure. The chapter about her giving birth and then the chapter about the troubles in her marriage and the issues that they've had are worth buying the whole book alone. They are just perfect. It's such a gift when someone is so honest because it's so validating to see yourself in someone else's writing. So I strongly encourage you to buy, if you haven't had a baby, probably buy Idiot. Honestly, I I, I haven't had a baby and I loved Idiots. So buy both. They're so incredibly funny and you will be laughing hysterically and maybe even crying like throughout the whole thing. It's amazing. So let's get right to it. Here is Laura Cleary. Hi, Laura. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. But really, let's actually talk about how we are for real. All right. Fucking for real, dude. I just got my period. That always has me. No, but I, I, I was thinking, gosh, I... I'm at the grocery store and I start crying because Melissa Etheridge starts playing. And like my mom used to listen to Melissa Etheridge growing up all the time. Yeah. Melissa Etheridge. (laughs) And I just start crying because Melissa Etheridge is on. Are you like mean before your period or are you weepy? I'm a little (laughs) bit of the devil. Well, yeah, a little Satan-y. Like a little... Sad Satan, you know? Sad Satan. And then, like, God forbid I lose something. Oh, my God. Then it's like if I misplace something, then I'm like – I start sweating and crying. That's a real disaster. Irritable. Yeah. And and for me, it's like 
I'm not kidding you. My last period before this was two and a half months ago, which you're like, what? But because I was breastfeeding, because I've just been like knocked up or breastfeeding for the last three and a half years of my life. And so with Alfie, my first son, I didn't have a period for two years. And then with Poppy, she just at 10 months decided I'm done. I want five course adult size meals. Like I'm done with you. Uh, Truly, she eats like a teenage boy. It's insane. And so (laughs) that's amazing. Like, yeah, yeah. But anyway, so they're like irregular and it's all weird. And How I'm old just are like, they? So um, Alfie, my first son, is t- two years and 11 months. And then Poppy, or it's Penelope, but we call her Poppy. Okay. Um, because in, in England, the nickname for Penelope is Poppy. And your husband is English. And my husband's English. And yes. that's the cutest thing I've ever heard. That's so cute. You get like two good names for the price you know of one. You know what I mean? It's yeah. so good. Yeah, we should have that in America. Bring it over here. I like Don't that. Don't you think? Yeah, it's so cute. So she's 11 months. Yeah. Oh, she's 11 months. So you really yeah. have been, had someone attached to your tit for the past two years. Correct. So that would make your period irregular. And I feel like when oh, yeah. it comes back, it comes back with a vengeance. It's like, look out. You forget. You forget. Yeah. And how do you PMS with like a toddler and a baby? Like, are, do you get mad at them? Like, you're not allowed to get mad at them. <laughs> right? Like, yeah, they don't care. I just eat chocolate with them. Okay, That's good. Fine. Yeah. Well, so I know all about both your birth stories. It's honestly left me quite divided, though, because I am a like hardcore believer in the epidural, uh, not having ever pushed anything out of my vagina. I just feel like that's me. I'm like a medical, like how you described yourself, like hypochondriac a little, not necessarily hypochondriac, but like doctor happy, you know? Yeah. Like we like pro doctor. I'm always pro epidural. But now after reading your experience with your daughter, where you couldn't have the epidural, Uh uh-huh, that was pretty groundbreaking. So you're open. You're open. I'm open. To- I mean, that sounded blissful. I, when you said it was like a high you've never felt, as a person that loves a high I've never felt, you know, That's like that thing. sounds wonderful. What would you do for a third? I mean, here's the thing. I I think like I would free birth in the forest. No, I'm wow. just kidding. But but I'm kidding. <laughs> okay. But that <laughs> my best friend's a doula. I'm like fuck. I I've heard it before. But that is a thing. Free birth is a thing. It's hysterical. But uh, no, I but I. If I had a third, which like today, right now, no, like two is good. But next week, I might be like four, you know, so it's like that. Um, But, you know, I would say I would go unmedicated again because here's the thing. I'm not against the epidural. I'm not against the C-section. None of it. It's all a miracle. Totally. It's more just you're going to feel pain at some point whether it's during your labor or after. So with Alfie, I was numb as shit. I could not feel anything from the waist down. So I'm pushing pain-free. It was amazing. It was magical. And then after the epidural wore off, I felt like I was hit by a truck and my postpartum was horrible. And I was like, what happened to me? Because I was so numb, I wasn't there for it. Whereas with my second I made the decision to not get the epidural, and then I, when I backed down and and right. wanted it, they <laughs> right. they weren't available, so I ended up doing it without the epidural, and that it was very painful. But then after she came out, it was like I'm good, like the co- recovery was so because I was there for it. The pain yeah. was, you know what I mean. And you shouldn't pee with either. Like oh no, my God. it doesn't mean like if you're more numb, you shit more. It doesn't. That you're doesn't just matter. Constantly just shitting. Yeah. Yeah. Does everyone shit? 
the table? A lot. A lot of people do. Yeah, because you don't – that's the only place you're used to pushing from. Dude, the doctor literally told me, push like you have to poo. So I I shat on her. Yeah. (laughs) Following doctor's orders. I literally just followed the doctor's order. And I bet she she switched up her terminology after that. (laughs) Yeah, maybe she exactly gave different instructions. This book is called Idiots. And the first book is called Idiot. Right. Yes. 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 So if you can give us the backstory on idiots and what happened in idiot that I might have missed out on. Totally. I'm just so pleased to know that I didn't like scare you away from wanting to have kids (laughs) that you were actually thinking like, oh, maybe I could go, you know, unmedicated. No, my mom writes pregnancy, wrote pregnancy books and motherhood books. So. So you knew it all. It's crazy. And it's a thankless job. It's a love that I can't understand quite yet. But let's go back before all the mushy-gushy, having babies and all that. (laughs) Take me back to – did you really graduate high school at 17? Is that – was that, like, normal? Barely. Barely graduated. So I was always, like, the youngest in my class. So, like, my birthday is July 22nd. So I was like, yeah, my class, when I I graduated, I was 17, which was turning 18 that July. So – okay. You're from Chicago initially, and then you moved yeah. to L.A.? Yes. So I'm from right outside Chicago and 20 miles uh, west of the city. And then I um, – my friend, like, I was a terrible student, so I I shouldn't say I graduated. I barely, barely <laughs> graduated. I mean, I was straight Ds. I was horrible. I was. Hey, I think the best of us were bad students. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think it's, it's good for uh, – a lot of neurodiverse brains. It's not conducive for that type of brain. At least my school wasn't. My 4,000-kid public school, yeah. It was... My, like, very small private school was not either, so it's okay. Really? <laughs> yes. Oh, my Wait, God. no way. Yeah. No, it was made for one type of kid. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Like, no special help, No nothing. Because you would think at, like, a – small private school they would ha- have that I maybe was like, now they're like that but not not when I was there sure 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 interesting oh my goodness um, I know but yeah so so I was I like barely graduated school anyway but I was really good at theater and I would write original plays and comedies and things like that and that was my passion and that was the only thing I really cared about that and weed were like the only things I cared about So these two girls who I did theater with who were two years older than me, they came to my high school like right before I graduated and they were like, hey, Laura, we're going out to L.A. to intern at this production company. You should, you know, come out with us and like help us pay rent and sleep on the couch. And I was like, hell yeah. (laughs) So I... I like hopped a plane with them, like begged my parents for the money, slept on the couch in this little Westwood flea infested apartment um, that we sublet from this girl who was away for some reason. And uh, yeah, it was so funny. And I slept on the couch. And I remember one point we were looking through her photo books because we were just (laughs) dumb kids. Yes. And we saw this picture of her and Blossom. What is her actual name? You know, Blossom. Who? The chick Blossom from that show Blossom. What's her no, name? No, what is that? Mia Bialik or something? Do you not know the show Blossom? No, oh my God, SOS. I don't know that show. Oh my God. <laughs> it's like Mia Bialik? Yeah. How don't you know? 
know the show. Okay, I, I have like I we need to end this interview right now. I'm ashamed. <laughs> like I need to watch this. I have to say, I never really watched Blossom either, but yeah, I knew don't of it. Me. Don't cancel me. I knew me. of it. No, I, I actually never really watched it either, but I knew of it. Anyway, she was like the she was like the main character in it. There was like this random picture of the girl and me and Bialik like skinny dipping in the pool, and we like saw it, and we just decided to like put it on the piano. Anyway. It's so random, but we just couldn't believe we saw, like, me and Bialik's tits. And, like, right. so we, like, had it on her piano as, like, the framed centerpiece in the apartment. And then she came back, like, one day to, like, feed, to, like, check on her cat or whatever because she <laughs> left her cat there. Oh, and she just sees, like, her tits out with me and Bialik. She's like, what the fuck? Who did I let sublease my apartment? So anyway. did she kick you out? No. No. She loved it. No, and I had like flea bites up and down my legs from the. Oh anyway. my god! But so I moved there, and that was my first taste of Los Angeles. Was In and Out in Westwood at the time? Yes. Okay, good. Of course, yeah. Girl, yes. The best. I grew up right around the corner, so that's where I. That was my stomping ground. Oh my god! So I, yes, we used to go there. This was my pre-vegan days, and uh-huh. we would get yes. the animal style. All yes, because now you can't even go for anything. Right? You know, it's sad that they wouldn't have like a vegan burger there, animal yeah. style. I feel like that would be so bomb to so do like good. a Beyond Meat. Well, if you're listening out there, in and out, in and out. here first. <laughs> but yeah, so so that's that's I first moved there, and then I like met this photographer at. You remember the Argyle? That's, yeah, of course. That club on Sunset. Yes. So I was there, like smoking a cigarette out at one in the morning, and this guy comes up to me and he's like, "You're gorgeous. You should be a model. I would love to shoot you. I'm a photographer." And I'm like, "Really? You think I'm gorgeous? Oh my <laughs> so god, LA. I can be a model." Yes. <laughs> Is it not? So, so we exchange numbers. He calls. He keeps calling me over and over and over and over and over, and um. Then the summer ends, and my friends are like, well, we're going back to school at Northwestern, so I don't know what you're going to do. So I fly back to Downers Grove, and I'm miserable. I want to get back to L.A. I hate it here. I'm not going to college. I fucked myself out of 90% of the college in this country. That wasn't going to happen. So um, this dude kept calling me over and over and over and over. Hey, remember me? I'm the photographer. I think you should be a model, da 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 and I'm in New York now. Come out here. Let me shoot you. Let me shoot you. Over and over and over and over. Should have been a red flag, but to my 18-year-old brain. You were a baby. Yes. You know? So I remember one day I got in a fight with my sister. It was really bad. And she's like, you should just go to New York with that photographer. And I was like, fine, I will. So I convinced her to pay for my ticket and flew out to New York with $40 in my pocket. Um, I had broke my cell phone at the time. So I had his name, his or sorry, his number and his address written down on a napkin wow. and $40 in my pocket. And I got a one-way ticket to JFK. What year and was this? So this was when I was 18. So this would be like 2005. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I fly to JFK and I'm just like, I'm going to be a model. <laughs> like, of course. Just, oh this God. story, by the way, is not, this isn't new. This is like a lot of people's story, I would imagine. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Well, it's that it's that dangerously impulsive brain, right? Do you remember when you were 18? Of course. It was, it's like we had no fear because our brain wasn't fully developed. Well, and you don't realize LA is actually full of liars and <laughs> like people that bullshit you. You know what I mean? So, excuse me, what makes you think he was lying? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but so I, dude, I get there. 
and I'm all naive. I'm walking off the plane. I'm like, okay. And this dude just comes up to me and he's like, hey, I'm a driver. I can drive you to wherever you want to go. And I'm like, oh, great. That's wonderful. Just watch my suitcase real quick. I really got to pee. And I, <laughs> so then I run off to the bathroom and I'm sitting on the pot peeing. I see this like carved graffiti saying like, fuck your face or something. I'm like, oh, that's nice. And then as I'm peeing, um, uh, I realized I just gave all of my things to this the first strange man who said he was a driver. So I pull oh, up my pants. No. I run so fast out to go get my shit. And sure enough, he's right there with like a big smile on his oh, face. Oh, thank and God. Thinking, yeah. Oh, my God. I thought that story was going to end differently. Okay. Thank God. Okay. Yeah. First yeah, crisis I, averted. <laughs> thank God. Yeah. So uh, it was insane. And But he was there and he was big smile. So I, so I said, great. We get in the car. I say, okay, pull out my napkin. Uh, I need to go to 22nd and 9th. Okay. Takes me there. And I said, we you know arrive at 22nd and 9th. And I said, hey, can I borrow your cell phone? I, I need to call the, the guy that I'm staying with now. And he's like, oh, sure. So I borrow his cell phone. I call. And then dude comes down and um, I remember he opens the cab and he was beautiful, this this man, just absolutely like a like prettier than us, like yeah, a pretty boy, like right. a like a pretty Stunning. boy. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, but he had red lipstick on and I'll never forget. He just opened this beautiful man now wearing red lipstick opens the door and he's like, hey, you're here. You made it. And I, I just I'll never forget the red lipstick. And then I. I thought to myself, oh, like he's he's gay. He's gay. I've got nothing uh-huh. to worry about. He's gay. Thank God. Turns out he just liked to wear red lipstick, but he was okay. not gay. Okay. <laughs> so it takes me upstairs. It was like on the sixth, fifth or sixth floor, stairs only, no uh elevator. So we're going up with all the suitcase or with the big suitcase, and we arrive. He opens the door to this little dingy studio. I'll never forget, mattress on the floor. There was one green light. Don't ask me why it was green, but it was green. There was a cassette player. Okay, it's 2005, not 1985. I don't know why he had a cassette player. Playing Frank Sinatra, Uh mattress on the floor, like cigarette butts and like some bottles. And he's like, this is my place. And I'm like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. Like, what have I done? Oh, my God. Yeah. Where were you supposed to sleep? On the couch? There was no couch. Okay, that's what I thought. I thought it was probably a one bedroom, right? But like like, one bottle of wine in, I'm like, I'm in love with this man. Right, of course. I'm in love with this man. And he's painting me, you know. Oh, my God. We're drinking wine, smoking cigarettes. I'm lying on the bed naked. See, I feel like I haven't lived. Painting me. Oh, girl. So we have this like whirlwind romance, but then it quickly turns toxic um, and he was a photographer. He just left out the drug dealer part. He was a photographer slash drug dealer. He would pay for everything in cash. It was dangerous. I weirdly liked it. You know, it was like yep. this just crazy, dangerous, exciting. But then he, you know, he quickly became like, you know, fucking abusive, honestly. Like verbally, he started grabbing me. I'd have bruises on my arms. Like he just, you know, he was clearly incredibly unstable. Was he your first boyfriend? Like, was that your first introduction to, like, what a relationship might be like? No, I I had a long-term boyfriend in high school. But, you know, high school. So you're kids. Yeah. You know? So, so yeah, that was my first, like, adultish, out-of-school relationship. Yeah. Yeah. 
So like, did you hide that stuff from your family? Or did you think it was normal, like that a lot of relationships fought like that or were volatile like that? I was never, even though my dad is an alcoholic and um, it, they're not perfect by any means, I he was never like physically physical tor- towards us ever. He would be an asshole and yell when he got drunk for sure. But that level of um, abusiveness I had never experienced and it was terrifying. I, I you know, I, I felt truly unsafe, but I also felt I had no money. I had no phone. I felt trapped and I didn't know that he would like let me go. One day there's a knock on the door at like one in the morning uh, while we're, you know, getting high, da, da, da. And I hear on the other end of the door, Damon, Damon, please let me in, Damon. I love you so much. Please let me in. I love you. I oh love my God. you. Okay. So I'm like, who is that? And he's like, shh. And I start laughing, not at her, but like, you know, when you laugh at church laughs, fun- yes. Like, yeah, church laughs. I was going to say funeral, like anywhere you shouldn't. Right. You just, it's just uncomfortable. So I start laughing and he's like, shut up, shut up. That's my crazy ex-girlfriend. Shut up. Oh, she's like, okay. Then cut to two weeks later, I'm out at a- another photo shoot with his friend. His friend and I get like drunk and we're just like out till one in the morning or something. And then I come back to the apartment, go up the six flights of stairs, and I try and open the door. It's locked and he's supposed to be home. So I'm knocking on the door. And of course, he doesn't give me a key. So I'm like totally dependent on him. Right. So I keep knocking. All of a sudden, the door slowly opens and it's a woman, (gasps) this like beautiful brunette woman. And she looks at me and she goes, it's not so funny now, is it? Is your life a movie? Wait, no, it literally is. And like, you think I'm paraphrasing for dramatic effect and I'm not. Oh my God. So this is all in the first book, by the way. So she opens up the door after saying, it's not so funny now, is it? And then reveals Damon passed out with his shirt off (gasps) on the mattress. Okay. And he's completely passed out. And I look, I assess the scene. I'm like, this is the ex-girlfriend. She's back in the picture. Okay, it's my cue. This is my time to leave. I can go. Right. So that's what I'm thinking. This is my escape. This is my time. So I look and I go, okay, uh, just let me pack my things. I'll be out in just a minute. Just And she looks at me. She goes, make it quick. Oh, <laughs> my God. Looking back, I'm like, oh, they definitely had sex. Right. I, I, at the time, I didn't even think that. I just was like, oh, this other girl's in the apartment. But like now they'd like for sure. Because you're like naive and don't know that kind of like evil exists. No. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it, exactly. So I think maybe the, a part of me was hurt. But then I quickly was like, I knew that this wasn't healthy. And so I just felt like, okay, he's moved on to this girl. And so I just need to leave. Like I okay. just need to get out of the situation. I think maybe a little bit of me was hurt. But then the smarter, higher self knew this was my time to to get out because I knew it wasn't safe. Right. How long were you in that? It was like a couple months. Okay. I was there for a couple months at this point. Okay. So you're gathering your things. So I'm gathering my things. Meanwhile, she's sitting on the other side of him, petting his head as he continues to be just fast asleep from like too much vodka because he's full-blown oh alcoholic. God. Okay. Right. So so she's petting his head um, and his head's like on her lap. And he's passed out and she's just petting it. I'll never forget the petting. And I'm packing up my things and I um, borrow um, his phone, Damon's phone, to call call this photographer and say, hey, can I come 
stay with you until I figure it out. SOS. Yes, come right yes. now. Yes, come right now. Great. Cool. So now I'm set. So as I'm packing my things I'll look quickly before he wakes up, um, she, I, t- I just turned to her and I said, hey, like, I just want to apologize for laughing the other week. I wasn't laughing at you. I, I felt uncomfortable. I'm sorry. Yeah. And she, and she goes, oh, it's okay. She's like, I know how Damon can get. And I was like, right? He's kind of crazy. And she's like, yeah, he's crazy. So we start laughing. Oh, my God. I'm laughing. Ball- I'm terrified. <laughs> So we start like laughing and bonding over this man, right? Right. Who's passed out in between us. He has no idea that his ex-girlfriend and his current girlfriend are like sitting here bonding. So I'm laughing. I'm like, how about when Damon does this? She's like, oh girl, he's done that to me too. (laughs) So I was like, hey, I could really like go for some weed like do you know Mm -hmm. do you have a connect and she was like actually yeah like i've got a great guy like he's got great stuff and i was like oh awesome of course she does right (laughs) so now we're talking about getting weed together like so absurd anyway right as we're talking about getting some roll a joint yeah (laughs) talk about it over a joint okay oh my god so all of a sudden like we're talking about the weed like bonding laughing you know i made amends all that shit all of a sudden damon oh christ pop (laughs) Eyes pop open. He turns to the left. He said, remember, he's laying down, passed out. He turns to the left, sees me, turns to the right, sees the ex-girlfriend. Then he gets up and it was like this possessed look went over him. He just has this like demonic look on his face. Like he can't believe the situation that he's in right now. And then he just, without thinking, grabs the girl and says, get out, get the fuck out. And, um, And then I step up. I said, no, no, no. I said, no, Damon, I'm leaving. Not her, me. I'm leaving. And and I'm, I'm like getting my things to try and get out. He grabs me, throws me down on the bed, grabs her, and he's pushing her out the door. And I'm screaming, no, like I'm leaving. Let me leave. Please, I want to go. Let me go. And he once again, her like desperate cries happen. Damon, please, no, like, please, 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 let me stay. I love you. I love you. I love you. And he pushes her out, locks the door, and um, pushes me down on the bed again. He grabs me by my neck, like right here, and he starts like crying. You could just see tears and he like grabs me by my neck and he's like where were you like how could you do this to me how could you stay out so late like what did you do did you cheat on me da 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 and I was like no 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 and he's like I love you I love you I love you like that desperate like crazy thing and I just knew that I was not going anywhere like I knew if I tried to escape it would not be good like I just I, I knew he was stronger than me I I couldn't leave. I had, and then your fight or flight kicks in and you're like, okay, so I can't fight this guy. So I have to, I have to just surrender. I have to just surrender and, and pretend that it's okay and just pretend. And then that, you know, ask me why I didn't run away the next day. It's like, I was scared. Makes sense. Yes. Completely makes sense. I mean, just physically, you don't, match up like what are you supposed to do how the hell are you supposed to get out and is he in the house 24 7 so we would wherever he went you know whatever deals he was doing like i would either go i would go with him right he wanted to be watching you at all times he yeah and he lured me back into his he was 
You know, he was like that love bombing narcissist. Yes. That, why does anyone stay? Yes. Totally. And then cut to maybe a week after that, we get a knock on the door from a big ass like security guy security guard looking dude and he's like you're evicted you need to leave right now why because the apartment was in his ex-girlfriend's name i swear to god so he kicked her out of her own apartment so she kicked us out the apartment was under her name of course she should i didn't know this totally so we fly back to la where he's from and then the saga continues in la are there good parts yes are there any redeeming like when they love bomb you and that Mm -hmm. yes it's like Man, we would get in these fights that were don't sound fun, but um, and they and they weren't. But there was so much passion, mm-hmm. you know. I, I I remember one fight we were in. I can't remember what what it was, but he he laid on the street in New York City. He laid in the middle of the street in New York City, and he goes screams at the top of his lungs, "I'm not leaving until you kiss me." Wow, you know what I mean? And it was like. And it's insane. And I think at that age, that kind of thing is there's an appeal to it. But then there's like, but then there's the scary side. So then I like wasn't eating because I was like in this fight or flight mode. I was so scared of him. Yes. And were you isolated from friends and everything? Yeah. And then eventually I got the cell phone and then I would call my sister and I would just tell her, um, you know, we're back in L.A. now. And I really got to see, too, why he was the way he is. We stopped at his parents' house in Long Beach and his dad, like, beat the shit out of him. Like, literally, I heard him being beat up and it was like, oh, that's why you think it's okay to be physical. That's why. And then his mom was like, his mom was this ex-playmate, like, blonde, big fake titties. Like, she's like, what the hell are you doing with my son? She's like. He's a piece of shit. <laughs> wow. So they you were know? all perfectly cast as well in, the, in their <laughs> yes. roles. Okay. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. I mean, not, is, you know this... what I mean? But yeah. No, but yeah. Yes, I do. Like, oh my God. It, it's so, it's such a movie. But, uh, but so she's like, and I couldn't believe the shit she was talking about her son. I was just like, oh, it was heartbreaking. And then he's getting beat up. It was just also sad, but it made me sort of empathize for him but by the way you always can with any you know what i mean like that always you can trace it back to childhood it's like it's really it's uh, and like that's where he what else was a child supposed to learn you know if they're if that's all they're shown and if people know better they do better but unfortunately a lot of the time they're not taught oh absolutely and are deprived of love yes and it doesn't mean we have to be a doormat and take it, but at least we can go, oh, this person wasn't like born evil. Like it wasn't an evil baby. Exactly. You know, I don't know that there's an evil baby out there. Yeah. No, I think that's really important. Yeah. So the saga continued in, in LA and then I would call my sister and I would tell her like how crazy he was and she would get increasingly worried about me. And then eventually she convinced my parents, like, I want to go out there and save her. And she came out and she kind of slowly got me away from him. And then he like got what got arrested and went to jail for one thing or another. And that was, that was like my major escape. And then my sister and I continued on and I had never left LA since. Wow. And now, so how old, how much older is your older sister? So she's two years older than me. Okay. Yeah. And she, so she's your older sister. Do you guys fall into those roles? Are you a classic younger sister? I'm a baby sister too. You are? Are you the baby? Yep. It's it's better to be the baby. I agree. I love that she came and helped you get out because oh, yeah. sometimes you can't do it on your own. You lose all sense of reality of what's normal anymore, what's 
it's really hard and sticky situation to remove yourself from, especially at that age, thinking you're in love and whatever. Oh, 100%. And my parents were so well-meaning, like, especially my mom, like, loved me to death, but they were like these hippies where, you know, what did your parents say when you wanted to go to LA at 17? Have fun. Yeah, God bless. Yeah. My parents were the same way. Yes. Really? (laughs) Totally. Yes. And it's I love that. I think it's great. I think it makes us not want to like rebel in crazy ways sometimes, but you know, whatever we do anyway. Yes. I know. (laughs) That's the thing. Sometimes we do it. Yeah. Mine wasn't rebelling. It was just more because I could do whatever I exactly. wanted anyways, you know, so I wasn't rebelling. It's I just, just our mental illness expressing itself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just the uh, the addiction. Yes. Uh-huh. Our yes. trauma. If, you, if we have addiction in our families, like mm-hmm. now I look back at the Damon situation and it's like, I wasn't chasing him. Maybe I was chasing his drugs. Like I just wanted that, that high and, you know, and he was, he was that ticket for me. Totally. Was that your first like experience taking drugs consistently? Oh, uh, no. I mean, I was a stoner in high school, you know, uh, and then uh, I would toy with harder drugs here and there sporadically in high school. And then but when I moved to L.A., I, it, I certainly um, did it more. Yeah. Like with him, was it Coke mostly or like what? what? Um, it was actually alcohol, weed and then occasional Coke, okay. I would say. And then co- cocaine became my down – that was my downfall. I was very addicted to that. And I'm actually so grateful that cocaine was my drug because it takes you down so fast. And so I got – Yeah. So I got sober so young. I got sober – I started going into the rooms of AA when I was 22. And I got – and it stuck at 24, 25, 25. So I've been sober 10 years. Wow. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. That's incredible. But if I hadn't done coke, I may I might be just skating by on Right. So are you saying there like aren't like it's hard to do coke hardcore for like 20 years? Yes. Yeah. Unless you want to die, like it like, destroys think- your nasal cavity for one, but what else? It could. If I had kept going, it would yeah. have because I stopped young. Like, thank God it yeah. didn't. But like, I just think it's a very hard drug to do in moderation and to still have a functional life. Whereas like, I know a lot of functional alcoholics. I know a lot of functional stoners, you know, but but even psychedelics, people can do maybe somewhat uh, norm- normally, but like Coke and heroin, those are very, very difficult to 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 do long term. Yeah. So it kind of brought me to my knees quicker, which I'm just grateful for, you know. No, I'm I'm really I really want to talk to you about addiction because I yeah. am so grateful that you are just like this beacon of hope and I don't want to put that responsibility on you, but you're just like this incredible person that sets a lot of people free with your honesty and I just like think that you're an incredible role model for people that are struggling with sobriety and I just appreciate I just need to say that first that I really appreciate you being so like open and awesome about it so can you tell us your story how did you decide to get sober from that relationship how did you pick up the pieces or did you not did it get worse from there yeah so it you know alcoholism drug addiction, it's fatally progressive. So it, it doesn't get better, you know, you you always need more. And so of course, my disease got worse as time went went on. And I needed more to think about the first time you got drunk, how like, you have right. one little screwdriver, totally. and you're like, I'm wasted, you know, and, and, and to now, you know, it's yeah, different. so your tolerance gets higher and all that. So 
I started using drinking more. And then for me, it wasn't an external bottom, meaning I wasn't on skid row. I wasn't mm. like homeless. I, I was in an apartment living with my best friend. I was booking TV shows and commercials just enough to pay my rent. I was but like functioning yeah. from the outside. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I was still booking work. I was, you know, making my dreams happen in a slow way, but I was doing it. I could pay my rent. I could buy food. For me, it was an internal bottom, meaning like I was so depressed. I didn't care if I woke up some days. I hmm. was in this perpetual state of fear um, that I wasn't going to get what I um, wanted or I was going to lose what I had. I was in this constant state of anxiety, depression. And I just thought life is not supposed to be so miserable. And I truly don't care if I wake up the next day. I also felt that I would never reach my full potential. I just had this one day where I woke up and I was like, if I keep drinking and using, I'm never going to reach my full potential. And for me, that was such a depressing thought because I knew I had something to give. I All I've wanted since I was a little girl was to make millions of people laugh around the world. The way that I made my friends laugh, I wanted to do that on a bigger scale. Like I wrote a letter to SNL when I was 10. Like that's what I wanted to do. And I knew the drugs and alcohol were getting in the way of that. And for me not to be able to do that was to die. And I know that sounds so dramatic. but No, it was I'm like- blown away because that is so real. That like really resonates with me just because you're like, wow. it's not necessarily like you don't need to be under a freeway shooting heroin. It doesn't look yeah. like that. But knowing that this is the bottom meaning, like there is no forward progression in your life that really means anything without yes. confronting this and all of the steps yes. that are included and, you know, all the work that's done with that. That is yes. so powerful. Yes. No, yes. And, and it, because for a time that there's this cliche say, saying in recovery that it's fun and then it's fun with problems and then it's just problems. Mm. So like, and, and that really resonates with me because mm-hmm. there was a time where it was really fun and it worked. Yeah. You know, and I was able to write really great sketches and be creative and drink and, and get high here and there. And I was able to be uh, functional and my life was somewhat manageable. Then there were a little more problems. Like I knew I had to be on set the next day, and but I would stay up with my then boyfriend doing shrooms and being crazy. And then I would be late to work be- because I was hungover. And I started prioritizing getting high over my passion. And that's when I realized, oh, this disease is taking over my life and it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. And I'm going to be that, that cliche statistic of that like drunk high actor that never gets it together and eventually ODs and die. Like I just right. could, I could just see that happening. And I was like, nope, 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 nope. That's not going to be me. And um, that was it. And, and so I walked into the rooms of AA because it was free and – and who did someone suggest it to you at first? I mean, there was no intervention because you had decided on your own, right? Well, my aunt. So another, because I, you know, when I was in my disease, I was very dangerously impulsive. So like uh, another 
crazy story that's also in, in my first book, Idiot. So the, so Idiot is really about, you know, my childhood and my, my addiction and then, ha- um, you know, what happened, how I got sober and then what my life is like now. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a fun book. Oh, of, I'm so excited. Yeah, yeah. If it's anything like stories. your second book, I, I'm so excited. Oh, thank you. Well, this story is also in there, but I'll, I'll tell it quickly. So this was this was the main moment right before I got sober was I was dating this German guy and I was over it. He was much older than me and I just he wanted to have kids. I was not ready at all. He was a, he was a good influence on me. He was not into drugs or anything like that. He got me into yoga, cooking. Mm. He had a lot of good things. He was trying to help me, but we were at such different points in our life. He was literally 20 years old. It was not happening. So I didn't know how to just say, I want to break up. So what do I do? I go to a bar. I meet some random Irish guy. The Irish guy looks at me and says, hey, you want to drive to Mexico? And I say, yeah, let's go. So we drive to fucking Tijuana and I'm driving with this Irish dude and he's like, has the worst taste in music. I said, I don't want to listen to this, this shit. And (laughs) we're fighting over what music to listen to. I'm realizing, yeah, I'm realizing, yeah, this guy's kind of a dick. I don't even like him, but it wasn't about him. It was about like escaping, escaping my problems Mm -hmm. and not confronting my problems. Mm -hmm. That's also a symptom of your 20s. Oh my God, right? And trauma and addiction. And yeah, I I have that. That in spades. So yes. Yes, totally. So uh, that was just a crazy trip. Addiction seems to like breed that chaos and drama. You know, it just followed me wherever I went. We didn't get along. We were like fighting like an old married couple. Like I just couldn't stand the guy. <laughs> yeah. I didn't, I, I like really, everything about him pissed me off. And he same was just your ride. Me. He was, yeah, but I drove. I right. was his ride. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. <laughs> so, so when I get back to from Tijuana, German boyfriend opens the door. It's over, Laura. You need to leave right now. Oh like my this, God. of course. I just went to Tijuana. I called of him course. when I was in Tijuana. He picks up the phone. Hello. I said, I'm in Mexico. He's like, Come back here, Laura. Like that's another movie. So I love but, it so much. So, yeah. So he kicks me out. So back to Downers Grove I go. So I fly back just to like go see you my parents. You're right. So he's kicking me out. So I'm like, I'm still living in LA, but I'm just going to go back home, see my parents. So I go there. My aunt calls me. She's the only, one of the only sober people in my family. Like lots of drug addiction, alcoholism, especially on my dad's side. But my aunt, uh, she's the only one who has like 20 years sober. So we always meet at this uh, Mexican restaurant in Donner's Grove. So we meet there and she comes in her big mink fur coat a uh, face full of Botox, huge hairspray, and her cigarette. And she looks at me and she goes, Laura, you look like shit. She goes, <laughs> she goes, and your hair looks like a rat's nest. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. And then she looks at me again. She goes, you need to get sober. She's, mm. She said, you have a problem. I could see it on your face. And um, honestly, it was that moment when she told me I look like shit and my hair looks like a rat's nest that perhaps <laughs> – by the way, that our vanity might be our like our last hope. Truly. That would be enough. Like that I was right. talking to Lala Kent and she was saying that the same thing. Like she was like someone told me like I looked like ass before I got sober and she was like I swear in pictures like I can tell if I'm if it's before I got sober or not based on just like where my eyes are set. It's real. Yeah. And that totally. would, that, would, that might make me reconsider it also. Literally whatever it takes. <laughs> Truly. So- yeah, so she told me go to AA. She's like, it's free. It saved my life, and 
and she was the one who told me uh, and said, if, you know, uh, it's a fatally progressive disease and it's all over our family and it's not going to get better. And I can tell, I can tell that you're, you're in it, you know, cause you look like shit. <laughs> and, uh, and I was, I heard her and, um, and then I went back home and I went to my first AA meeting and then I, it took me, you know, that was when I was like 22, 23. It took me a couple yeah, it took me a couple years of trying and then I'd get some time and I'd be like, ah, I'm young, I could do this. And then that's what I was going to ask because like sobriety sounds like something that, you know, that might be in my future just because I have it in my family and it's like totally. I just have seen the detriments of it and, you know, yes. you can't deny your biology, unfortunately. So it's always something that like I'm like, well, I'm in my 20s now, it's fine. But like maybe yeah. when I'm 30 or, you know, whatever. But I feel like if you don't hit necessarily a rock bottom and it feels maybe more like your choice or whatever, there can be that grappling between like, do I really need this? Am I just doing, you know, like if just by based totally. on a mood switch, you have plenty of shameful moments to look back on in your arsenal yeah. and things that, you know, make you realize why you're doing it. I just feel like it would be hard to continue to put yourself in that place. Yes. Yes. And, and, um, I think the beauty is people are getting sober much younger now and they're seeing, oh, wait, I don't have to be on skid row to call it a bottom. I don't have to, right? It, bottoms look different for everyone. And That's so why I love that you're saying that because it's kind yes. of like it makes it more inclusive. The one thing is like if it's in your family, like you said, there's a there's a there's a good chance you may have that addictive thing too, which by the way, not a death sentence. If you if you channel that addiction into good things, your life ooh, blows up. I mean, I say I have a life beyond my wildest dreams. Me and my husband, who are both recovering, um, because we we channel our our addiction into into good things. And so we have a really abundant life because of that. So I think it could be your superpower too. Um, I really do. But, um, and then there's binge drinking and there's a daily drinker. I never drink ever. I didn't drink every day. I didn't drink yeah. in the morning. I, that's another thing. Oh, I don't drink in the morning. Like I just drink at night. No, if you are drinking at night and you can't just have one, if your mind's going, oh, I need one more. And then maybe one more. If you have a drink or a drug and it sets off the phenom phenomenon of craving, there's a good chance that you you have alcoholism. There's a good chance. I can't diagnose you, but I'm just saying that's a good that's a good determining factor. Yes, I love that you're saying yeah. that because I think there are going to yeah. be a lot of people listening that are like, well, it's, a, <laughs> it's a fun habit right now, you know, but like, you know. <laughs> Yeah. You know that it's kind of causing more harm than good or you feel like, oh, I don't know the last time that I couldn't – that I didn't have it or like I could totally go without it when in reality you're like I definitely could not, you know? So I think it's yeah. important to talk about those other more subtle forms of rock bottom, quote unquote. Oh, totally. And then there are people who have it but their lives are manageable. Right. And they seem happy. So do you? Like that's awesome. If I could do it normally, I I would. It just – it stopped working for me. It gets more dangerous and mucky the longer that you do anything. Totally. I just love that you talk about it as it being something that wasn't – your life is like a movie, but your sobriety story really is like not uneventful at all. It was very eventful. You went to Tijuana and all these things, but it was – you didn't hit rock bottom like we keep saying, and I think that's an important story to tell. Because a lot of people feel excluded. They're like, oh, I'm not as bad of an addict as other people. So I'm not welcome at AA or I shouldn't go. And it's like, you should. 
<laughs> yeah. And then I think, too, the other thing is having – I'll never forget Oprah said, if you don't know what your life's purpose is, stop everything you're doing and figure it out. No, stop everything you're doing and figure it out. That is the most important thing you can do in this life is figure out your purpose and work towards it every day. So stop drugs and alcohol. Yeah. I think because I knew or what I believed to be my purpose, Mm -hmm. I had a reason to stop. If I didn't know what my purpose was or have something that I was working towards – I'd probably be like, let's just keep getting high because I don't have these this this really important life purpose, whether that's being a mother or, you know, running a bakery or whatever that they are, in my case, comedian. You know, it's like if you don't know what your purpose is, and this is just Oprah's theory, but I really – that really like resonated with me. And it also made me think because I had this purpose that was so important to me, um, I had had a a really compelling reason to do the work and put down the drugs and alcohol. Because sometimes the self-love isn't there. There's so much self-loathing and it's not enough to do it for yourself. So you're like, okay, I can do it for my purpose. I can do it for the community I want to create, I can do it for yes. the life that I see for myself more yes. than you can. Yeah, it's yes, it's interesting because that might be like when that is the only thing that you see standing between you and what you want. That's a really important realization. Totally, that's really incredible. Yeah. Whereas I think some people, I always question all the time, why did this person not get it? Why, you know, my cousin who I talk about in my new book. OD'd and died in the shower at 37 years old. And she, and her and I were very close. So she and me and my aunt, who I just talked about, were, we were like this because we all had it. But she, I go, why didn't she get it? Mm-hmm. Why did she have to relapse? Why did she have to leave her eight-year-old son behind, like who she loved more than anything? And she was so, you know, smart and talented and so loving and so just an amazing woman she just really was and i often ask like why didn't she get it why me and and not her you know that dichotomy is something i really want to spend a minute on because i think you know as having someone in my family with addiction and not knowing how to talk about it for so long in my childhood because i didn't know how to not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like, how do you celebrate mm. the person? Because off, in my opinion, addicts are elite people-wise. You know, obviously they can do yeah. shitty things because of their addiction, but they're yeah. the most sensitive, empathetic. In a lot of ways, yes. they're like very in touch with the universe and whatever. Yeah. But I think it's really hard to – I love that you said that your aunt is all these incredible things and an addict. Both can be true. And like that's a really important point to make. Yes, yeah, there. Th- yes, there's there's definitely a stigma around around alcoholism when it's a disease like any other disease. You don't stigmatize someone for having diabetes, you know. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah. So unfortunately, there is that. Um, but I think the more you know, we talk about it and normalize it, which is why I think it's so important to talk about it publicly, even though like in the specific program that I got sober in, there's, oh, anonymity, like 
but okay, but I can make that decision that I want to talk about my sobriety because I think not remaining anonymous around it um, perpetuates the shame and the secrecy, and then it makes it seem like uh, there's a problem around it. So then you have that person who doesn't ever tell anyone that they're struggling with addiction because they're full of shame, mm -hmm. so they never get help. But if they're like, oh, this person I watch online, oh, she, you know, she got sober and this guy's sober and this guy's sober and they're and they're they're fine and they don't have shame around it and they're normalizing it. So I'm going to do it, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like maybe. Mm -hmm. Especially when addiction and shame go hand in hand. Oh, my God. Yeah. You know? the, the secrecy and the shame. And, and my my cousin had that because she didn't feel um accepted and felt sort of like demonized around it and she would call me all the time saying like i feel like my family's given up on yeah. me i feel like i Aww. you know all like horrible right. and you know what i mean and there yep. was definitely that do that, you go to al-anon you know i've been but i i i and i went like when steven and i went through some issues i was going then like when he had his relapse um seven eight eight years ago when he had his relapse um i i was big going into going to alan on that was huge how about you i've been a few times i need to like commit myself yeah. you know but i'm like putting it off right now i'm just like i'll do it another time i feel like i'll be called to like really devote myself to it but i didn't realize you can go through the 12 steps in alan on yeah which i was like oh Oh my god, I need to do that immediately. So, that's something that's the next chapter for me. Oh my god, I think those 12 steps are beneficial to anyone. Not, yes. Literally. It's just uh you learn so much about yourself. Who doesn't want to get rid of their fears, their resentments, make amends for their wrongs and just feel light and free? Honestly, it's it's a tr truly um pro it's a it's a profound program that that really works if you work it. And I just want to say this one thing because I think there's a lot of like agnostic people out there and like atheists. And I'm actually consider myself agnostic. Like I pray to a God that I don't quite understand. But I just want to say like because I like totally. to pray, but I don't know what God is. I don't know, but I like to pray because it feels same. good. Yep. <laughs> okay, I'm so the we're camp. the same person. Yes, of okay, course. Cool. Great. So, but like, I think there's this misconception, especially because some of the literature in the big book is, you know, references God a lot, that it's religious and it scares people away. And I just want to say like that if anyone is struggling with addiction out there and they're scared to go to, to that specific program because they think it's religious, it's not. It's a spiritual program. You can be atheist and go. There are even like atheist meetings if you don't like to talk, to say the word God or anything like that. I just think that's important. I, it right? is important. Yes. We want to, we want to remove all barriers to entry for AA. Totally. Yes. It's and literally free. Totally. Yeah. It's amazing. So yeah. you met your husband, Stephen, when you were newly sober, right? Yes. And yeah. he is in the program as well. Yeah, so I was 59 days sober, and I know that because we, ca we count our days at the beginning. So I was 59 days sober, and I wasn't leaving my apartment, and my sister calls me. She said, Laura, she said, you have to come to this party tonight. You haven't left your bed in weeks. Let's go. And I was, like, nervous well, that I was going to A party to relax. a newly so sober person is like, oh, I God. Know. Yeah, exactly. So my sister is, like, classic Anglophile, meaning she's obsessed with all things English. So I go to the party by myself. It's a weirdly specific theme party. All of these parties that my sister's friends, they always threw these like weirdly specific theme parties. Like this one was dress up 
like your parents did the year you were born. Oh, Jesus. What? (laughs) Wow. Okay, so like not something you can prepare for in like four seconds. So I'm 1986. (laughs) So, okay. So I find this like little pink and black striped little tiny dress from Fred Siegel and like this big curly hair, whatever. That was it. So I get to the party looking cute and I see this guy from across the garden and he's like laughing in this beautiful suit and he's laughing with some other guy and I just remember looking at him and and thinking, wow, I really like that guy's smile. Like he has a really nice smile. And I just remember thinking that. And then I was walking a little more towards him, looking for my sister. And then I noticed he was holding a bottle of water. And I was like, okay, Laura, like, now's your time. Like, make your move. So I went up to him and I was like, hey, like, where'd you get your water? I love it. That's a good opening line. That's, hey. (laughs) And then he looks at me and he's like, pardon? Because of course he's British, of course. And I was like, no, I just like, I really love water. It's. (laughs) It's so really good. important to yeah. stay hydrated. <laughs> I said, I really love water. It's so important to stay hydrated. That's the first thing I ever said to him. <laughs> and then he looks at me and he goes, obviously you don't love water or you would have brought some yourself. Oh, my God. I love so that- it. <sighs> and I'm like, are you accusing me of not liking water? Because I do <laughs> like water. Like, I do like water. Like, no, Ask I didn't anyone. bring any. I love it. <laughs> And then it was like a short, awkward conversation. I was like, whatever, I'm going to go find some water. So I leave the water guy and I was like, whatever. And so I go find some other water and then I see my sister and I'm like talking to whatever, all her friends. It was uncomfortable. I was, everyone's getting progressively drunker and higher. And I'm just like, I got to go. So as I'm I'm like, Kyle, I got to go. I did it. I was here for an hour. Aren't you proud of me? I'm, I'm out. And so... As I'm walking out, I see the water guy, and I'm like, I guess I'll say goodbye to the water guy. So I walk up to him, and I was like, hey, like, I'm leaving. Um, just want to say goodbye. And he was like, why are you leaving? And I said, well, because I'm the only sober person here. And he was like, I'm sober. And I was like, sober, sober? Or, like, I'm driving tonight. Right. Like, because there's, I'm right. driving totally. tonight sober. I've said that, or, like, a thousand <laughs> times. Yes. Yes. You're right. You're right. Good clarification. You know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, like, I'm driving tonight sober or, like, I'm a dangerously impulsive alcoholic and if I drink, I'll die. Like, there's two. And he was, like, and he goes, sober, sober. And I was, like, oh, my God. I said, no way. I said, I'll have two months tomorrow. That's crazy. And he was like, no way. I've got this many years and da-da-da. He's like, I just moved here from England. Um, Do you know any good meetings? And I was like, yes, tomorrow. There's one in West Hollywood at the Log Cabin. Come meet me there. And he met me there the next day. After that, we had a three-hour lunch, and literally the rest is history. Oh, I love that so much. That's a sweet story. That was 11, almost, well, uh, 10 and a half years ago. My mom would always tell me, because she met my dad at a party that she didn't want to go to. Well, they're divorced now, but whatever. And so she would always say, it's always the parties you don't want to go to. So I would like tell myself that, but it's really, and then I stopped believing it because I was like, this is bullshit. Like all the parties <laughs> I don't want to go to, I'm miserable at. So this is good yeah. reinforce. This is real, really reinforcing my belief in that. That's hilarious. It's always the parties you don't want to go to. 
But in your book, I have to say the chapter about you and your husband is next level revolutionary. I mean, just the most relatable. The whole point of the the chapter is to be like, we're. I'm going to prove to you how imperfect we are, right? <laughs> yes. And like you tell these yes. various stories that are beyond relatable and just so refreshingly honest, especially the part about looking through your significant other's phone. Mm. Because the, what a treacherous, I mean, what a slippery slope that is. Like that truly, like I was thinking about it when I was reading it. I was like, oh my God, I haven't yeah. read Dylan's phone in like a long time. And then I was like, the thing about looking through your significant other's phones, first of all, yeah. whenever my friends call me and they're like, oh my God, I looked through their phone. And I'm like, yeah, for like the first time this week or like what? Like ever, everyone looks through their significant other's phone. But I yeah. genuinely not, like maybe it's because we're getting old and boring. But I haven't yeah, recently, yeah. and the truth is, though, no matter what, you are going to find something. No matter if it's the way that your boyfriend talks about you to your his friends, whether yeah. it's the way what he said to his mother about the way you did, you know, like you are going to find something that pisses you off. But let alone the totally. scary stuff that you can find, obviously, sure. which, which there's sure. a high percentage chance you might. But you will find something that will piss you off no matter what. Oh, yeah. Right? It's a horrible feeling. And it's so funny. I, I'm so happy that you that you um, resonated with, with that chapter um, because that's another thing. We talk about addiction being stigmatized, but like relationships and dysfunctions oh. within them and like – or like the hashtag relationship goals shit you see online. Like I, I read somewhere that like the longer – the like caption your Instagram caption is on like your significant <laughs> other thing, like the more trouble you're in. I told Steven that's so now we do like half a sentence <laughs> HPD. Yeah. 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 Like literally. You're getting nothing. Yes. No, it's true. Like the performative bullshit is like it's intense. And it's it's another thing no one talks about. Yes. And there's a lot of shit out there, thank God, for like single people and, you know, people relating and commiserating about getting ghosted or whatever. Yeah. But for people in relationships, we take this oath of like silence. And I understand like we want to protect our significant other. We want to pr- yes. like that's the person we chose. Yes. We feel like it reflects on us, our egos, blah, blah, blah. But oh, yeah. it's so lonely because like even with yeah. your best friends, you're like, wait, do I bring this issue up? Even though like what if I what if I don't care about it tomorrow and then my friends care and then I'm stuck with this person? The truth is that there's connection on the other side of that truth. Okay, that was so relatable what you just said. What oh, if I don't care about it tomorrow, but my friends still do? Right. Do I just not say how many times I've thought that? How far can I go? Can I sit there and have an honest conversation with my friend about this issue? Is this normal? Yes. Is this, you yes. know, I mean, yes. it's it's so relatable. Is this a red flag? Is this, yes. Oh my God. And then like you see, like with some of my friends, like I can see some dysfunction in their relationship. I don't judge it, but I can see it. But would they necessarily tell me? No, it's it's everything's great. We're great. Everything's great. Is it though? Right. Is it? Right. No, it's not. It's not. And truly what people don't realize is like being single is better any day of the week than being in a bad relationship or relationship that shouldn't be for you. Like people romanticize relationships and even a relationship with the person that you are supposed to be with, like the best person, the most healthy person is hard as fuck, you know? And like people think that 
hard means bad or hard means and then the second that you have to start working on it or compromise more than you want to or like bad shit happens infidelity or addiction or any of those things it's like the shame is just insane and especially for those of us who where shame is an automatic reaction oh my god it's yeah it's wild it's it's wild it's another stigmatized area that Mm -hmm. i think people even your best friends don't i had a lunch with one of my best friends the other week or actually at this time um, it was this specific conversation was a couple months back, months back when Stephen and I had gotten in an argument because now you're co-parents and you've mm-hmm. got a whole other dynamic to sort through. I I, I have to say I feel even like having we're sex out. like I don't even know how you guys do that. I truly like <laughs> with two. I don't. It's it's crazy. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's just a whole bunch of things to navigate. But at that time, you know, we had been in an argument and I was going back and forth. Do I talk about this with my friend or do I just pretend everything is fine? Um, and I decided to just tell her what was really going on and talk about the argument because you, I did feel so alone. And I did question, is this normal? Is mm-hmm. this not? Is this, you know, how do you deal with this kind of thing? And sure enough, when I was super honest and vulnerable with her, she came back at it with me with shit that her husband's doing that I'm going, holy shit, really? <laughs> right. Whoa, really? Right. And it was, um, it, was, uh, it was so liberating. It was so amazing. We felt less alone. We bonded. We were able to help each other. And it was just like, it, I swear to God, it's it solved it. It just... Totally. And it's all in the way that we look at it. Like, we're just so self-critical and our egos are just so powerful. Like, I fought in front of my best friend who's single and I was like, mortified. And I mean, a week, two weeks later, a couple of therapy sessions later, I came to the conclusion that I was like, okay, relax. Like everyone fucking fights, you know? And like, yeah. that's just what how it goes. And it's all about how you look at it. Like it really wasn't embarrassing for anyone that's ever been in a relationship. We think that we have to, especially with Instagram and all this bullshit, it's like has to be only perfect all the time. We have to be the most in love, couple goals, blah, blah, blah. But you heard it here first. Every fucking relationship has issues. Every yeah, single everyone one. Everyone has something. Even There's that one. Some, yes. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. And I and I think for me, uh, the reason I you know didn't talk about some of the things that I do in this book in my first book is I wasn't ready. I was so scared of being judged. I was so scared of it, and there was so much shame around some of the issues we've had in the past that I just didn't mention it. Then in this book, I thought, okay. Let me get rigorously honest. Let me tell people exactly what it is. And of course, I talked to Steven and I said, hey, I'm going to write a rigorously honest chapter about our relationship. I want to talk about all the things that have gone wrong because the things that go right, it's kind of boring. I want to <laughs> – and I said, do I have your blessing? Of course. He's That's one of the things I love about him. He's like, of course. Like, we're human. Yeah. You know, we make mistakes. Things happen. You know, this is it. This is our truth. And we came out the other side. That's and so it's- incredible for your kids. That's such an incredible gift to give them. Yeah. it's Because, man, how many secrets did your parents have? Oh, and my parents. <laughs> Please. Ugh. Like, right? It's like, and then we just have to pretend that everything's okay, but we know it's not. And it's like, Horrible. But that's why you and I have were bred out of what our parents – because I just have this need now. I'm like, if I have a – my poop shaped the wrong – I'm like, let me tell everyone. Like, everyone needs to know. Yes. I'm like, no secrets. <laughs> Almost to a fault where I'm like, okay, maybe we could have like a few. 
boundaries. <laughs> yes. Not everyone needs to know about my hemorrhoids. <laughs> yes, maybe they yes. don't. Nor hashtag normalized hemorrhoids. <laughs> but what if there's connection? Yes. What if I could? Exactly. So I love that you wrote that in your book that like you weren't, you were too afraid to share a lot of these things in the first book because yeah. that's honest too. Like sometimes you need to test out the waters of being honest and vulnerability and see to trust that there are people to catch you. And go, and go, what am I scared of? I'm scared of being judged. So that's irrelevant. What's much more important is, like you said in, um, I listened to some of your Gwen Stefani interview in the intro, you talked about sometimes all we need to do is know we're not alone. That's it. And we just need to share our truth and know we're not alone. And it dissolves so much of that fear and that shame, just knowing we're not alone. And so, you know, when when I get told all the time, oh, my God, I wish I had a relationship like yours. It's like, yeah, we have a good relationship. We do. And we love each other and we support each other. But let me let me tell you you know, all the issues we've had and that we are far from perfect. And, you know, and so that's just- We owe it just, to each other. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. Or else you're like just feeling this shame and you're feeling alone oh, for no reason. For right. no reason. For no reason. Because you uh. are so far from alone. That's the truth. <gasps> yeah. Okay. So I just have this last little segment, but yeah. I wonder if basically what we're talking about- you know, I know you have two beautiful little babies and your son, Alfie, how old is he now? You said he's two? Yeah, he'll be three, three. Um, April 20th. So he's two years, 11 months. Okay, amazing. And he was diagnosed with autism when? Yeah. When, he, when he was two years and three months, he was diagnosed autistic. I would imagine that changed how you see shame and that probably flipped everything on its head, oh, right? Yeah. Everything, everything. I changed as a mom, like literally overnight. And I'm still learning so much. Um, but but I, I would say, you know, there's a lot of like fear around um, autism. Initially, when we when we got the diagnosis, it was very scary because I didn't know what that meant, and I was being told by like even professionals that like, oh, he'll never be independent. All and, the like, things he can't do. Yep. And, and there's a good chance he'll never talk and, um, you know, all of these things. And guess what? He's now putting, you know, five, six word sentences together. Right. He's like people on the spectrum are fucking geniuses. Oh, right? yeah. But of course, He's at like... first you get told all the limitations, which is bullshit. Yeah. And, and like, even if my son were to remain nonverbal for the rest of his life, like, that's okay, too. You know, it's all okay. Even even if he never becomes independent, like, cool, I get to live with him for the rest of my life. Like, how fun is that? Yes. Um, you know, and then we find out my husband is on the spectrum. Yeah. And, it's a spectrum uh, for a reason. A lot of <laughs> yeah. a lot of my family members are on the spectrum. Really? Yes. But it's, wow. I would imagine that it could be lonely at first because also, yeah. I mean, and scary because there isn't a handbook. There isn't like a step-by-step, -step, here's what to do. Here's how to best support your child in this. <sighs> yeah, he's different. Yeah, he's going to have some challenges in some areas of his life as we as we all do, but he also they they only focus on the deficits. They only focus on the challenges, but what about, you know, all the creativity that comes with it and the honesty and the mm -hmm. just the, the the unique lens with with which they see the world. Like why why don't we talk about that? That's the greatest gift of all because there is, you know, for for, some, for many autistic people like they can't 
lie almost like it's like they're just like they they have to be so honest and it's so beautiful and refreshing and like have you watched love on the spectrum oh it's amazing oh it's It's my favorite show it's the best it is the best and we have so much to learn from them it's really it's it's an incredible I, i mean i love that show but what what's something that you would tell yourself when you first learned of alfie's diagnosis what would you tell other moms that are going through that yeah, knowing what I know now, like um, enjoy this journey and um, there's nothing wrong with your child. Uh, your child is um, beautifully unique and, and that's a gift. Um, I, for one, am a big proponent of celebrating neurodiversity, celebrating different brains. That's what makes the world go round. You know, I, I'm ADHD. My husband's on the spectrum. Okay, amazing. And and that's the thing. It's, you know, cre- creative and unique. I mean, he is a brilliant uh, composer. He literally uh, can hear a piece of music and just just write it without reading music. Like, right, because his brain doesn't work the same way as other people's, right? Yes, yes. And it's just um, focus on what they can do rather than what they can't. And then just help and guide them in the areas that they they struggle. But I would say just as a whole, like, know that your child is perfect as they are and don't listen to all that um, fear-based shit. Like, just don't don't take it in. Just, uh, you know, for me, I just had my friend over who had – who has a kid who's five days older than Alfie. And it's so funny because Alfie, I work with him so much. I'm up till – 10 p.m. singing to him and reading him stories to help him with his language. And it's like I get one new word out of him and it's like, yes, you know, it's this big celebration. And then her son comes over and he's like, oh, hey, do you want to play right. with the camper van and then unlock it? And then we can go outside and go on the swings for just like five minutes or something. What? <laughs> Why did you say all that? You know, because it's like my son is not there. Right. He's and not, works he's, so hard for yes. that one word. Right. Yes. Right. Oh my, yes. But then my son is like saying hello to purple. He loves purple flowers. So every purple flower he sees, he walks up to it. He says, hello, purple flowery. And then, and then when we walk away, he goes, bye bye, purple flowery. <laughs> and it's every, he just loves purple oh, flowers. I know. That is sweet, baby. That's so yeah. sweet. And he's so sweet and so unique and um, special. And he's already making little beats on Steven synthesizer. Oh, that's he's, amazing. You know, he's, he's got good pitch. Uh, he's, you know, he's just like, but he's so lucky. He's really, really lucky to be born to you guys, you know, especially having your husband who's on the spectrum and can help and understand and you who's just like incredibly open and committed and devoted. And he's really lucky. And you guys are lucky as well. I had one therapist say, you know, we have to stop his stimming, which mm-hmm. is like when they like flap and things, yeah, right? Yeah, how they, they, it's how they regulate. Mm-hmm. So like some, some, everyone stims, like whatever you do, you know, if you're like picking your nail or like twisting your hair, like that's like a stim. You're doing it to like regulate your emotions. Um, but autistic people tend to do it a little more obviously. So sure, they could flap mm-hmm. or they could spin. So, mm-hmm. so Alfie, Alfie will spin. Oh, we have to stop him spinning, you know? And I said, unless he's spinning in the knife aisle of a right. store. Right. Isn't that more healthy than the, the ways that we sell? self-regulate 
Literally. Like, I wish I could just spin around. I wish I, no one ever told me to stop spinning, you know? Totally. It's like, I'll, I told that there was, I'll spin with him. Totally. I'll spin with him. Like, oh, my God. I love it. It was so dumb. So I think that, too, like, if, if they're trying to make him fit into a neurotypical mm. world, you need to comply and... And, you know, act the way a neurotypical child does. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, if you're ADHD, you might have to get up and run some laps. You cannot sit down for an hour straight. Why are we restricting these children? Right. We can build the world around them. A hundred percent. hundred percent. And 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 celebrate yes, that. Yes. I and, love and, that. And focus on that. So, I mean, that's it. I love that so much. That's a perfect place for us to end. I just, I, I think yeah. that's so incredible. And I so appreciate you sharing that aspect of your story and all of, of this, all of your story. I'm like in awe of you. You're awesome. I really yeah. loved meeting you. Thank you. I, I, I likewise, um, this was so nice. It was so nice. Yes, we had our little heart to heart. Yeah, like you're in LA, right? Yes. Okay, let's I'm get in, dinner or something. I would soon. love that. Okay. I would love that. Let's, let's do, do it. it again. Yes. Yeah, we'll do this whole please. thing, but off the record. Love it. Yes. Oh my God. Thank you. You're amazing. Thank you so much. Okay, I know there's a lot to unpack from that conversation. Laura is unbelievable. She's brave. She's self reflective, self aware, which I love. And she's just fucking real and it just makes me think that when people are that real and tell you their truth with confidence you know the truth isn't so scary we're more afraid of our truth than anyone else's in all reality so i don't know she just made me think of that and made me want to just tell some secrets or something like she was i just love her honesty so much so that is it from us this week I'll see you guys right back here next week. And thank you so much for listening as always. Okay. Love you guys. Bye.